Hi, this is Sam. And this is Anuel. And this is Murderous Intention. Hello, welcome back to Murderous Intentions. Um, we are so sorry about what happened last week or not being here last week. I was uh, really sick, not feeling well at all. Um, I spent most of the day in bed. Uh, thankfully, no COVID or anything like that. I was just stressed. So. Um, I don't really actually remember what happened in the last podcast, to be 100% honest with you, because it's been about two weeks now. Um, so in the last podcast, um, what happened was, um, it was about Joshua Davies and Allison, no, Rebecca Alloway, Alloward, um, and it was about the bet that if he killed her, he'll get the fryer prefix. Um, it was our our first out of the United States case that we did. Um, so that was pretty like wow factor, you know. Um, but that was for our UK listeners to show that we do keep up with what's going on in your place too, you know. Um, I don't know, but here's, um, I don't know if anybody else knows about this, or if you do, then you can always, you know, chime in to our Instagram, um, and give us your, your, well, Instagram or Twitter and give us your opinion on this. Um, there was like a whole TikTok and Instagram, like viral thing going on where they were saying about how they should do like a, a mass or nationwide school shooting um so like i know like some places in new york went into like some of the schools went into shutdown mode um some of them went into um where there was more guards and they had it where um the cops were on standby just in case of anything um i know um i ended up getting a message from the school for my daughter's high school, that they end up going into like a momentary lockdown because a conversation between two students, um, it ended up being nothing like credible. It was just two kids, you know, talking smack about things. Um, but they completely shut down the whole school, did a full investigation on everything to find out that it was not a credible issue. So it was like, you know, cool beans. As long as it wasn't something serious, I, I'm good, you know? Oh. yeah and it's just it's just like what is this world going coming to where it's like kids feel it's okay to do um the shootings you know it's just it's crazy so yeah um so what are we doing this week? Well, since um, we were talking about international um, crime, I thought why not 
talk about the Ken and Barbie killers um, that happened in Canada. Ooh, okay. So, maybe our um, Canadian listeners can let us know more about it. Because okay, so um, we're doing the Ken and Barbie killers. Okay. Um, so I'm going to start with the early life because I got a little bit of it. Um, Paul Bernardo's father, Kenneth, mm-hmm. actually abused his daughter. He also found a girl and was charged with child molestation in 1975. Um, Bernardo's mother, depressed about her husband's abuse, withdrew from family life and lived in the basement of their home in Scarborough, in Eastern Metropolitan Toronto. Okay. In, in his book, Keep the Marriage, Nick Fran describes the young Bernardo as he was always happy. A young boy who smiled a lot, and he was so cute with his simple, um, good looks and cute smile. Um, that means that many of the mothers just wanted to pinch him on the cheek whenever they saw him. Yeah. The perfect child they all wanted, polite, well mannered, doing well in school, so sweet. In his Boy Scout uniform. Um, but beneath the charming facade, however, Bernardo was, excuse me, Bernardo had developed dark sexual fantasies and enjoyed humiliating women in public and beating women he dated. When Bernardo was 16, his mother told him that he was conceived illegitimately during an extramarital affair. Disgusted, he began to openly insult her. Wow. Like, why, why would you even say that's your own child, though? Like, I don't, I don't understand it, but it, it seems like another case of abuse was done to him and. You know, I don't understand it. Yeah, no, I hear you. It's chaos. Um, I'm sorry? I said, it's chaos. Chaos already, yeah. So, Fernando attended Sir Wilfred Laurie Collegiate Institute in Scarborough, and then went to the University of Toronto, Scarborough in 1982, and worked for Amway, who their school to defeat the affection. He yeah. brought the books and tapes of the famous motivational beverage and famous experts. Uh, Bernardo and his friends practiced techniques on young women they met in bars, and they were fairly successful. In October 1987, he met Carla Omoka, and they were sexually attracted to each other, and almost immediately, unlike the other women he knew, she encouraged his sadistic sexual behavior. Bernard assisted in the 1991 Brett American Cycle, and read it as, as his Bible. Um, yeah. So he was, I mean, you can already see how much problems he had. That's just crazy. Yeah. So then, um, Paula Leanne Omoka, born May 4th, 1970, was known as Leanne Kiel. 
Canadian serial killer and rapist who was her first husband, Paul Portado, raped and murdered at least three minors between 1999 and 1993. Um, Amoka attracted worldwide media attention when she was convicted of manslaughter following a plea bargain to serve only 12 years in the rape murder of two Ontario teenage girls. Um, Leslie Mahaffey mm -hmm. and Christian French, um, she was never charged with sexual assault before a plea bargain. Bernardo was convicted of the McCaffrey French murders and received life imprisonment in a dangerous offender destination. The yeah. full maximum sentence of out in Canada. Homoka um, stated to investigators that Bernardo stated that she had been an unclear accomplice for the murder. As a result, she struck a deal with the prosecutors for a reduced prison sentence of 12 years in exchange of a guilty plea to the charge of manslaughter. Homoka scored 5 out of 40 on the psychopathy checklist in contrast to Bernardo's 3540. Wow, 35 Wait. out of 40. <laughs> huh? Like, I, I, I don't know what to say about that part. You're right. However, did you think of the crime suffered after the plea bargain and demonstrated that Hamoka was a more active participant than she originally drank? including in the rape and death of her sister, Tammy Homoka. As a result of the deal, with, she has struck with prosecutors as dubbed the Canadian press a deal with the devil. Public outrage about Homoka's plea deal continued until her life profile release from prison in 2005. So, uh, would they be able to go back on that deal? Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Um, so, I have a list of Scarborough rapist case. And um, so, Bernardo committed multiple sexual assaults, es escalating in viciousness in and around Scarborough. In mm -hmm. fact, most of his victims had to stop them as they got off. Um, May 4th, 1987, rape of a 21-year-old Scarborough woman in front of her parents' house after Bernardo followed her home. May 14th, 1987, rape of a 19-year-old woman in the backyard of her parents' house. July 17th, 1987, the rape of a young woman, although he beat the victim, he abandoned the attack when she broke down. September 29, 1987, attempted rape of a 15 year old girl. Bernardo broke into a house to cover and entered into the victim's bedroom. He jumped on her back, put his hands over her mouth, threw her with a knife, bruised the side of her face, and bit her ear. Bernardo fled when the victim's mother entered the room and screamed. 19 year old at the time of the crime. Anthony um, Mayer was convicted of the sexual assault in 1989 and served a 16-month prison sentence, but was faced 
January as of another American return in 2006. On December 16, 1987, a 15-year-old girl, the next day, Metropolitan Police issued a warning to women in Scarborough traveling alone at night, especially those riding the bus. Yeah. Um, seven days later, December 27, 1987, he raped a 17-year-old girl with a knife to prevent his victim. At this point, he began to be known as the Scarborough Rape. Uh, and yes, it continues. April 18, 
are you a sex addict? And the thing is, he wasn't bad looking. So I'm like, you just wanted that urge of where it was forced, you know, a sexual act rather than a consensual. Right. It's just, it's crazy. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It's absolutely not. So, um, it doesn't really stop there. I just think it gets worse. So, by 1990, Bernardo was spending long periods of time with his family. Yeah. Who liked him? Although he was engaged to Carla, he flirted with a younger sister, Pam. Orlando had not told them that he had lost his job as an accountant and was smoking cigarettes across the nearby Canada-United States border. He had become obsessed with time. Peering into her window and entering her room to masturbate while she slept. Carla Homoka helped Bernardo by breaking the windows in her sister room allowing him access. I have to repeat that. Carla Homoka helped Bernardo by breaking the windows in her sister's room, allowing him access. It's one of those things where it's like, how can you do that to your own sibling? You know? Just to please your dude. Like, no. You don't do that. You know? It's just... I don't know. Be nice. I don't know. I don't, I don't need that. Um, in July, he took Tammy across the border to get Thea for a party. Bernardo later told his fiance that they got drunk and began making up. <clears throat> According to Bernardo's testimony at trial, Paula Homoka lace spaghetti sauce with fresh volume she had stolen from her employer at Martin Dale Animal Clinic. She served it to her sister, who was soon unconscious. Bernardo then raped Tammy while Carla watched. Tammy woke up after one minute. Over the summer, he supplied she and her friends with food and soft drinks within it with a film and a few white flicks on the top. Six months before their 1991 wedding, Carla Homoka stole the anesthetic agent, Halitin, from the clinic. On December 23, 1990, Carla and Bernardo a sleeping pills to the 15-year-old in a rum eggnog cocktail. What? When Tammy, yeah. When Tammy lost consciousness, Carla and Bernardo are sisters and Carla applied a halitonic soap off to her sister's nose and mouth. Carla wanted to give Tammy's virginity to Bernardo 
so because yeah, her sister. Go ahead. Uh, oh, so her sister wanted to give her boyfriend or husband at the time. Her sister's virginity at the Christmas present. The problem was she wasn't a virgin. So he got mad at her. He was a stepmother. Which is like, I don't know. My opinion is, first of all, you can't give somebody else else's virginity as a gift. You know, first of all, that that's I, I I'm mind boggled just knowing that because I'm like. You can't give somebody stuff as a gift. That has to be on them. Especially that that your virginity is it's a once in a lifetime thing. You don't get it back when you're, you know, once it happens, you know. Um I'm glad she's not my sister. I must say that. I'm glad she's not my sister. Mm-mm. With Tammy's parents sleeping upstairs, they videotaped themselves raping her in the basement. Tammy began to vomit. Say what you're going to say? All I can say is, what? Like, first of all, yes, you're committing the most heinous act, you know, and then you're going to videotape it like common sense. Dude, why? Why? You know? <sighs> Go ahead. Proceed. Tammy began to vomit. They tried to revive her and called 911 after hiding evidence, dressing Tammy and moving her into her bedroom. A few hours later, Tammy was pronounced dead at St. Catherine's General Hospital without regaining consciousness. Wow. Despite their behavior, vacuuming and washing laundry in the middle of the night, and despite a chemical burn on Tammy's face, the regional municipality of Niagara coroner and the Homoka family accepted Bernardo and Homoka's version of events. Which was? The official cause of Tammy Homoka's death was accidental. Choking on vomit after consumption of alcohol, Bernardo and, Car- and Carly subsequently videotaped themselves with Carla wearing Tammy's clothing and pretended to be her. They moved out of the Hamoka house to a rented port Dolly's house bungalow to allow Homoka's parents to breathe. How are you going to take their side? I mean, like, no evidence, no, no, no investigation, no nothing. So, like, what I can see is they probably assumed, oh, it's just a teenager. You know, her parents are asleep, so she decided to get drunk. Um, and 
But my thing is, if you see that there's a burning pattern around her mouth, that signif to me, that was signified I need to go and find out why does she have this burning pattern. Was this burning pattern there when her parents last saw her? You know? But, to each their own. I'm going to say that. Just to each their own. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't get it. I know that supposedly um, Hunter stuck as Tammy pretending to be her. Yeah. At some point, even though they know they probably killed her, you know, like, I don't get that part of it. But. I don't see how can you pretend to be your sister, you know? Like, if you, if he was comfortable with her pretending to be the sister, then why did he need the sister? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to continue because I want to be done with this. Really. Okay. <laughs> okay? Gotcha. Okay. So, Amoka told Bernardo to tell him that that his surprise wedding gift was ready. Bernardo videotaped Amoka raping the girl before he himself assaulted her. The next morning, Jane Doe was nauseated, but thought that her vomiting was from a drinking alcohol for the first time. And did not realize that she had been sexually assaulted. In August, Jane Doe was invited back to Port Valley House to spend the night and was again drugged. A local call 911 for help after the girl stopped breathing while being raped. A local called back a few minutes later to say that everything's all right and the ambulance was recalled without follow up. Jane Doe survived. Okay. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But that's not a normal wedding gift. No. Yeah, here's a person for you to rape. I'll rape a first and then you rape them. No, you normally get like a blender, um, wine glasses, um, a set of dishes. You know, like like those are, are normally your normal wedding gifts. Um, this is not. No, absolutely. So early in the morning on June 15, 1991, Fernando detoured to Burlington, halfway between the wow, and St. Catherine, to steal license plate and found Leslie Mahaffey. The 14-year-old had missed her curfew after sending a friend's away and was locked out of her house. Bernardo left his car and approached Mahaffey, saying that he wanted to take him to a neighbor's house. On face, she asked if he had any secrets. When Bernardo led her to his car, he blindfolded her, forced her into the car, drove her to court the house, and informed Amoka that they had a victim. 
Okay. We're now doing homework for videotape themselves talking. It's actually a meeting for happy while they listen to Bob Marley and David Bowie. At one point, Bernardo said, you're doing a great job, Leslie, a damn good job, adding the next two hours are going to determine what I do to you. By now, you're scoring perfectly. On another segment of the tape played at Bernardo's trial, the assault escalated. Mahaffey cried out in pain and begged Bernardo to stop. In the crown description of the scene, he was sodomizing her while her hands were bound with twine. Mahaffey later told Bernardo that her black pocket seemed to be slipping, which signaled the possibility that she could identify her tactics if she left. The following day, Bernardo claimed Amoka claimed Amoka fed her a lethal dose of Halchin. Mm -hmm. Um, claimed that Bernardo um, strangled her. They put Mikafi Mahaffey's body in the basement. And the day after that, the Homoka family had Nina at the house. And their remaining daughter, Laurie Lab, Bernardo and Hamoka decided that the best way to dispose of the evidence would be to dismember Mahaffey and encase each part of their remains in cement. Bernardo brought a dozen bags of cement and a hardware, excuse me, a dozen bags of cement at a hardware store the following day. He kept the receipts, which were damaged damaging at his child. Bernardo used his grandfather's sexual assault to send them happy. Bernardo and her and her mother made several trips to dump the cement block in Lake Ipswich, eleven miles south of Port the house. At each one of the blocks weighed ninety excuse me, about ninety kg or two hundred pounds. It was beyond the ability to sink. It was laid, it was laid near the, the shore where it was found by Michael Gasset and his son, uh, Michael Jr., while on a fishing expedition on January 29, 1991. My happy, authentic find was instrumental in identifying.
rape wasn't enough. They had to kill it. Rape was not, you know, like, rape wasn't yeah. enough. They had to kill her because the blindfold slipped. Like, that's the same reason to die. It it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. You know? I don't know. This makes your tum- yeah, stomach turn. Right. Shall we continue? My um, guess, we have no choice, right? We have no choice. Correct. Go ahead. Um, so during the after school hours of April 16, 1992, Bernardo and Homoka both through St. Catherine to look for potential victims. Although students were still going home, the streets were generally empty. As they passed Holy Cross Secondary School and Athens High School in the city of North End, they spotted 15 year old Kristen French. Um, walking briskly through a nearby home. They pulled into a parking lot on nearby Great Lutheran Church and Homoka got out of the car. Map in hand, anything specific. When the French looked up, when French looked up, excuse me, at the map, Bernardo attacked her, attacked her from the air. Brandishing her a knife, brandishing Her hair was cut off. Although it was thought that French's hair was removed 
tattoo moles or whatever you know those are ident identifying um marks um that is unique to each person and they also go by that as well yeah. so that's just crazy. Um, so she, <clears throat> shortly after Amy Hamoka's funeral her parents left town and Lori visited her grandparents in Mississauga leaving mm -hmm. the house empty According to author Stephen Williams, during the weekend of January 12, 1991, Bernardo abducted a girl, took her to the house, raped her while Hamoka watched, and dropped her off on a deserted road near Lake Gibson. Bernardo and Hamoka called her January girl. And about, okay, I see your face, okay? No, I'm just like they called a January girl. Like, are we are we starting a calendar? I'm guessing because I mean it did happen on the weekend of January twelfth. So maybe it's possible. I'm gonna I'm gonna sit back and I'm gonna let you finish this because that this is just crazy. So, um, at about 5.30 a.m. on April 6, 1991, Bernardo abducted a 14-year-old who was warming up as a queen for a local role field. The girl was distracted by a brown woman who waved at her from her car. The neighboring Bernardo said that she probably be near the role club. Rowing club, excuse me. He sexually assaulted her and to remove her clothes and wait five minutes during which he disappeared. Derek Finkel's 1997 book, No Claim to Mercy, presented evidence tying Bernardo to the murder of Alexis Payne, who disappeared on June 1999, three weeks after the last known attack of the Spurborough victim. Payne told her mother that she was going to check the tennis schedule at the University of Toronto Harbor. Two days later, her car was found with a large blessing at the, on the back seat. Mm -hmm. um, Robert Arthovich, who was consistently maintained, was convicted of second-degree murder in the death of his girlfriend on March 31st, 1992. At trial, his lawyer suggested that the then unidentified silver rapist be responsible for the crime. Lothar served eight years of a life sentence before he was released pending appeal. 
which is voted alleging that they have been wrongfully convicted and Bernardo was guilty of the murder. The Court of Appeals for Ontario set aside Bothery's conviction on December 2nd, 2004. But on, January, on July 15, 2005, the Attorney General of Ontario announced that he would face a new trial. On April 22, 2008, after a series of pre-trial motions and through the presentation of evidence implicating Bernardo and Bain's murder, Crown Prosecutor Philip Hansen told the court that he would call no evidence and actually do it to find Arthur is not guilty of second murder. On March, uh, 19, March 29, 1992, Bernardo stalked and videotaped two sisters from his car and followed them to their parents' house. The sisters incorrectly recorded her license plate number. One sister recorded the incident to the NRP on March 31, 1992, and received an incident number to report further information. With French on the homophobic card on April 1992, Bernardo went out by dinner and read the movie. Mm-hmm. He was spotted by one of the sisters who attempted to track him for his house. Although she lost him, she got a better description of his license and it and card and reported to the police. Her information was handed by police. <clears throat> of course it was. Of course, it was mishandled by it, It's just... This case is very insane. I'm just going to tell you that right there. This is a, an insane case where it's like, what? Like, we could have prevented a lot of this stuff. One, we could have prevented um, Tammy's death if they would have realized that this mother trucker was the rapist for all these other chicks. Um, then if they would have did a proper investigation, my opinion, in Tammy's death, none of these other girls that came later would have ever had to, would ever have to have what was done to them. You know, they would have never had this done. They would have still been living their happy-go-lucky life, you know. It's just crazy. <clears throat> um, falling into the black hole to which Judge Archie Campbell referred in the Campbell Report of 1996. Um, in, in 2006, when I confessed to at least 10 more sexual assaults dating to March 1986, mm-hmm. including the 1997 assault of a 15 year old girl. Another man, Anthony Mayer, had been convicted of the assault and served a full sentence of it. On June 26, 2008, the Court of Appeal for Ontario overturned the conviction and exonerated him. Okay. So, the times are done. I'm not talking about them anymore. Okay. We're going to start with the... Uh, investigation and arrest and you know all that yeah no no problem 
you got a sign of relief going on on your face. Like, yes, I'm done with that now. Yeah. To enjoy these guys going their asses to jail. Yeah. Hopefully. I know that they, they are, but anyway, I'll continue. Okay. Amoka and Bernardo were questioned by police several times in connection with the proper witness investigation. Tammy Homoka's death and Bernardo's talking of other women before the death of Frank. The officer filed a report on the 
okay? It sounds like she wanted to go back, get those. That way there's no evidence towards her. Then it also seems like he knew it was getting close to an end and he wanted to take his life to kind of avoid the whole situation. That was about right. Okay. Listen, those two really do deserve one another. They really do. Okay, so 26 months after Bernardo submitted a DNA sampling, Toronto police were informed that it matched that of the Scarborough rapist and immediately placed him under 24 hour surveillance. Metro Toronto Sexual Assault Squad investigated interviewed Amoka on February 9, 1993. Despite hearing their suspicions about Bernardo, Amoka focused on his abuse of her. Later that night, she told her aunt and uncle that Bernardo was a harbor rapist, that she and Bernardo were involved in the rape and murder of Mahathi and Fred. And that the rapes were reported on video. So, the NRPC opened this investigation of Tammy Homoka's death. Two days later, Homoka met with Niagara Falls lawyer George, George Walker, who sought legal immunities for current prosecutor Maluna in exchange of, of for her cooperation. She was also placed under 24 hour surveillance. The couple's name change was, was approved on February 3rd, 1993. The next day, Walker met with town criminal law of office director Mary Siegel after Walker told Siegel about the risk of the race. Siegel writes him that due to Homoka's involvement in the crime, full immunity was not a possibility. Duh. All right. She shouldn't get any immunity. But, okay. Remember, they're probably wanting to go and be able to get more information and figured, you know, if we at least give her something, promise her something, we can get more of the information without having to having to do so much work. You know? Yeah, I mean, I kinda understand it because before Tammy he had a lot of uh he raped a lot of women. Yeah. You know, so, but at the same time, Tammy was a sacrifice of her sister. Which is, is disgusting that? in the first place, you know? Right. But I mean, she's not totally innocent to get immunity. No, she's not. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, they both one for another. Yeah. My opinion. Okay, so, oh, yeah, I totally agree. Absolutely, totally agree. On February 17th, Metro's Sexual Assault Squad and Green Ribbon Task Force detectives arrested Bernardo on several charges and obtained a search warrant. Because his link to the murders was weak, the warrant was limited. No evidence which is not expected and documented in the warrant to be removed from the premises. 
happening at you in the house. The damage has to be kept to a minimum. Police cannot tear down walls looking for real things. The search of the house, including updated warrants, lasted 71 days. And the only case found by police was had a big segment of a poker performing oral sex on Jane Doe. I'm confused again. I don't want to know. I I don't want to know, being honest. Like, does she, does she, um, my question is, prior to getting with him, was she, um, like, bisexual or was she straight like what was she before she was you know and that, that would be a good question if if i ever had a disgusting urge to want to ask that kind of question if i was ever ever to like meet this person in real life which thankfully that would never happen thank the lord but yeah that would be a question i would have to ask her you know well, I mean, I um, submitted before. She had to be because she raped women. So I'm going to guess that she was by herself. You know, by sex to herself. True. She could be. Because she, she partook in almost all the rape. Which makes it very definitely sure that it's not, you know, uh, oh, but my husband made me do it. You pretty seem pretty, like, very comfortable doing this matters, you know? Right. It's just despicable. Okay, so here we go with a little bit interesting here. Okay. Um, Nathan, Walker was informed that, that the government was offering her mocha a plea bargain of 12 years, which she had one week to accept. If she declined, the government would charge her with two counts of first-degree murder, one count of second-degree murder, and other crimes. Walker accepted the offer, and her mocha later agreed to it. On May 14, her mocha's plea bargain was finalized, and she began giving statements to police investigators. She told police that Bernardo hoisted that he had raped as many as 30 women, twice as many as the police suspected, calling him the happy rapist. So to me, what happened and but it was also 
you can tell she's the weaker link between the two. So the common thing would be, let's go after her and get the information. Yeah, I would agree that she's the weaker link. Because she was clearly subservient to him and what he wants, and she, she did. Yeah. You know. No, I got you. Okay, so. Let's talk about Bernard now. Hi, done? <laughs> I had to stretch, I'm sorry. Ronaldo was tried for the murders of French and Mahathi in 1995. His trial included detailed testimony from Amoka and radio states of the rape. Ronaldo testified that the deaths were accidental, later claimed that his wife was the actual killer. On September 1st, 1995, Ronaldo was convicted of several offenses, including the two first-degree murders and two aggravated sexual assaults. A sentence for life in prison without parole for at least 25 years. He was designated a dangerous offender, making him unlikely to ever be released. Um, in a plea bargain, Homoka testified against Ronaldo in his murder trial. The plea bargain was criticized by many Canadians who were not the first defense lawyer and Murray with help video case for 17 months. They were considered crucial evidence, the prosecutor said that they would never have agreed to the plea bargain if they had ever, if they had seen the text given. Murray was later acquitted of obstruction of justice and faced a disciplinary hearing by the Law Society of, Under, of Upper Canada. So the lawyer actually helped him hide video things. Wow. At least that's what I'm getting from it. Um, although Bernardo was kept in the segregation unit at Kingston Penitentiary for his own safety, he was attacked and harassed. He was punched in the face by another inmate when he returned from, from a shower in 1996. In June 1999, five convicts tried to start with segregation training in the riots the Toronto Star reported on February 21st, 2006, that Bernardo admitted sexually assaulting at least 10 other women in the tag now previously attributed to him. Most, most were in 1996. A year before what police called the ring of terror by the Scarborough rapist. Authorities suspected Bernardo of other crimes, including a single rape in Amherst, New York, and the John of Harry Anderson in St. Catherine's, but he was never acknowledged in, it, in involvement. Renato's lawyer, Anthony G. Pine, reportedly forwarded information to legal authorities in November 2005. Mm -hmm. In 2006, Renato gave a presidential interview that he had reformed and will make a good parole count. He became eligible to petition the truth to come out to apply for an early parole in 2008 under the faint hope clause 
committing possible murder before the 1997 criminal code amendment. But then I do something. In 2015, Bernardo became eligible and applied for day parole in Toronto. According to the victim's lawyer, Tim Jansen, it is unlikely that Bernardo will ever be released from prison because of his dangerous offender status. In September 2013, he was moved from prison, which was closing to Mill Haven Institute in Bath, Ontario, where he was reportedly separated from the other um, Bernard scored 35 out of 40 on the second class of Texas, a psychologist assessment to use to assess the presence of psychopathy in individuals. This is classified as clinical psychopathy. In November 2015, Bernard himself published a mad growth order, a writing fictional 631 page ebook on Amazon. By November 15th, the book was reported on Amazon bestseller, but was removed from the website due to public outcry. Question. Answer. He was in jail all this time. Yes. But he still published the book? He has more time on his hands than me and you put together. But I mean, self-publishing a book takes money. Um, he probably has family. And remember, when you're a serial killer, people want to be like, "Ooh, I want your juicy story. I want to know, you know, how you saw it and how you took it upon." You know, they're not a lot of people. Go ahead. A lot of people. A lot of people, when they um, when they do the thing to publish a serial killer's um books that they write themselves, um, they're not caring about that dude, that person that's in jail, saying, "Dude, you shouldn't be writing, you know, what you did, you know, and confessing about it." Um, they're gonna be like, "Yeah, there's people out here who want to know what the fuck you really did and know why you did it. Go ahead, write your story." You know, and I think that's also why it became a best, uh, a bestseller. It was because people wanted to know why he did it. What was the reason? You know, like, you know, it's, 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 it's human nature to want to know why somebody do, does something. Um, and then what provoked that person. So I, I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't appreciate it, but I get it. What's weird for me is he self-published it, which means he paid for everything. Well, he probably did have the the uh, the dough to do so. What well, I forget. It's um, Ken and Barbie were supposedly rich, white people. Yeah. So they're privileged. The, yeah, they're privileged, right? Exactly. I forgot that. Okay, no mind. <laughs> So, um, in October 2018, Bernardo had been sent to go to trial for possession of a shank weapon while incarcerated. Mm. Um, if anybody doesn't know what a shank weapon is, it's a 5 centimeter long screw attached to a pen. 
or a toothbrush. Right. Like you can do a, a shank out of a toothbrush. Um, kind of different things. So different ways to do it now is ridiculous. Yeah. Toothbrush, hairbrush, all kinds of ways. A comb. A comb. Right. However, the prosecution dropped the charge due to their determination that there was no responsible formality of conviction. So basically, probability. Um, they said he had a change. Did he actually have a change? I don't know. No, I don't know. So that's probably why they didn't take this charge. Okay. All right. Fernando became eligible for parole in February 2018. On October 17, 2018, he was denied stay and full parole by the Parole Board of Canada. Okay. His next parole hearing took place on June 22nd, 2021. It took only one hour for deliberation by the presiding judge for his application to be turned down. Yes. So he's done it. I guess it's been kind of. Yeah. Um, Carla. On May 18, 
That's just insane. Like I kind of lost you for a second. Um. Yes. The public Amokas leaves bargains have been offered before the contents of the videotapes were able to review. Um, Annie McGilvery, Associate Professor of Law of the University of Manitoba, explained that continuing public antagonism against Hamoka, there was a widespread belief that she had known where the videotapes were hidden, that she really willfully concealed the Jane Doe incident and most centrally that her claims of being under Bernardo's control um, a centerpiece of the plea bargain were dubious. Uh, speculations were framed by a promise. Uh, your recording has reached the maximum length. To replay your message, press one. Speculations were fed by a publicity ban on the plea bargain were stood onto Bernardo's trial. Um, print and website sources imagine demonic duos, um, <clears throat> vampirism, Barbie and Ken, perfect couple. Sorry, that's my dog. <laughs> perfect mirrors, um, sexy. Taylor Carla, the comic, Carla's Web, Carla's Web, excuse me, featuring Homoka's psychic confessions, 
the gauge sensor, the gauge sensors, always at Homoka, that Bernardo would be incarcerated for a mortal lifetime since a foregone conclusion. <clears throat> Homoka, in the popular view, should have taken her seat beside him in the prisoner's box and, and set of ultimate evil. Excuse me. Amoka's promise full disclosure and testimony against Bernardo in return for reduced charges and a joint sentencing recommendation. In so doing so, she escapes central blame for the death. Although the contents of the videotapes will likely have led to the conviction of our conviction of murder for Homoka. An inquiry in, into the conduct of the prosecution would have made the plea bargain found their behavior professional and responsible, and that the resolution agreement that they had established with Homoka unsealably under the criminal code. Okay. Judge Patrick T. Gilligan reporting to the Attorney General on the matter, indicated that in his opinion, the Crown had no alternative but to negotiate with the accomplice in this case. That's as the letter of the two evils. Excuse me? I said, that's ridiculous, but I, I understand where they're coming from. Right. Because she it really was the lesser of the two evils. True. You know, so to deal with an accomplice rather than to be left in a situation where a violent and dangerous offender cannot be prosecuted. That's how they, you know, saw it. Yeah. In December 20, 2001, excuse me, Canadian authorities determined that there was no possible future use of the videotapes. The six videotapes depicting the torture and rape of Bernardo's and Homoko's victims were destroyed. The disposition of the tapes Homoko watching of Homoko watching and commenting on the tapes remained sealed. After the nineteen ninety five testimony against Bernardo, when Homoko returned to Kingston prison for women, her mother, Dorothy Homoko, started to suffer annual breakdowns between Thanksgiving and Christmas. The, the collapse was severe enough that she was hospitalized, sometimes for months at a time. While at Kingston, Homoka began corresponding, correspondence courses in sociology through nearby Princeton University, which initially caused a media storm. Well, duh. Like, no, I mean, I want to say this correctly so people can understand it. Yeah. We put them in jail for a crime. And a lot of them, I, I, I will go so bold as to say most of them come out with degrees. While in real life, you know, in the outside life, excuse me, they would have never gotten that opportunity. Most definitely. At least, at least some, you know, of them. So, of course, there was public outcry about it. It's just crazy. Yeah. Homoka was required to pay all fees as well as her personal means for her ordinary income of about 
$69 Canadian Canadian dollars. Wow. Yeah. Although she was, she told author Stephen Williams in a, in a subsequent letter, I did get some financial assistance. Amoka later graduated with a bachelor's degree in psychology from Queens. What? What? Yeah. Amoka um, later graduated with a bachelor's degree in, okay, I'm sorry. News of Homoka educational efforts were greeted in the media with this thing. Nothing has changed. Concepts of remorse, repentance, shame, responsibility, and atonement have no place in the universe of Carla. Perhaps she simply lacks the moral gene. Moral, low, columnist, Margaret Weck. I think Homo the same thing. I'm sorry? I said I agree with the, with the columnist. 100%. It's like she has no rationality of the fact that, hey, you did something fucked up. Why are you, like, Grant, again, education, yes, it helps you get better, but you're still evil. You still did an evil act. You should not have these privileges to have that much of, oh, well, I was able to do this and I was able to do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My opinion. <laughs> Solely no, my. You know? But yeah. Yeah. So, Homoka was moved from Chinsik in the summer of 1997 to 38th Institution, a medium security prison in Gillette, Quebec. Um, Why? 80 kilometers northwest of Montreal. Oh. A facility called Club Fed by its critique. Okay. In 1999, Toronto Star reporter Michelle Shepard came into possession of copies of her application to transfer to the Mason Therese Cosgrave, run by the Elizabeth Fury Society, and published the story knowing that halfway houses approximately to local schools hours before the Canadian courts issued a publication ban on the information. Amoka sued the government after her transfer to a Montreal halfway house was denied. In Joliet, Amoka had a sexual affair with Linda, I cannot say this name. That's not her last name, I'm just saying I can't say. Okay, you can't pronounce it. <laughs> I can't pronounce it at all. If I was to guess, it was Vero New. A transgender man who was serving time for a series of armed robberies and who reoffended so that he could be sent back to Juliet to be with Homoka. According to the Montreal Gazette, her letters to Renew wrote Christy Flashford in her column in the Globe and Name were in French and had the same sort of childish, puppy dog decorated paper. She once wrote to her former husband. The same kind of girlish love notes she sent to him. Her language, Blackford noted, was equally juvenile. Homoka gave him the incentive to finish his schooling, 
Bernard said, Bernard, who identified as a man, and was scheduled to undergo gender reassignment surgery, said Mocha liked to be tied up, something that disturbed Verinu, who was serving a sentence for robbery. He said, one game seemed to stimulate rape, the Post reported. This article, along with numerous others, with the public opinion and the date of Homoka's release near. While being evaluated in 2000, Homoka told, told psychiatrist Robin Menzies that she did not consider the relationship to be homosexual. As Rarinu saw herself as a man and planned to undergo a sex operation in due course, the psychiatrist wrote. Psychiatrist Lewis Marisette, meanwhile, noted his report that Homoka was ashamed of the relationship and hid it from her parents and the expert who examined her. The psychiatrist mentions in his report that under the circumstances, the relationship was not unknown. In 2001, Homoka was transferred to the St. Anne. There's plain institution and maximum security prison in Quebec. On the Toronto Sun reported that while there, Homoka began sexual relationship with Jean Paul Gabet, a convicted murderer being held in the men's unit of the facility. According to the former inmate in Homoka's confidant, Chantel Munir, the Sun reported Homoka and the inmate shipped at a flimsy fence touch one another sexually, excuse me, touch one another sexually and exchange underwear. At the same time, Manua told the son, Amoka was still in a relationship with Linda Manu, who had spent $3,000 on her victorious, on her as Victoria's Secret on December 6, 2001. Only seven days before Amoka dumped Manu, Manu said she asked Homoka why she continued her relationship with Gerber while being in love with Renu. Manu recalls Homoka saying, I don't let go right now because I want my clothes and I want my computer. Wow. Yeah. A relationship for benefit. Seems that way. <clears throat> That's crazy. This is like ridiculous. Um, in 2008 letter, in a 2008 letter of apologies to her family, she she continued to blame Bernardo for her misdeeds. He wanted me to get sleeping pills from work, threatened me and physically and emotionally abused me when I refused. I tried so hard to save her. Ten dads and lawyers for the other victim's family have said that she has never apologized to them. During Homoka's release hearing, Marisette said that then 35-year-old did not represent a threat to society. Various hearings over the years have left a mixture of opinions. If she posed any kind of danger, said Dr. Robert, I can't say your name, mm -hmm. a forensic psychologist for Correctional Services Canada, a lay in the ominous but not unlikely possibility of a linking up with another sexual status like Bernard. She is very attracted to this world of sexual psychopaths. It is not for nothing that she did what she did with Bernard. 
he told the National Post at the resume her file. A scheduled newspaper interview with her mocha was squashed by her lawyer. It was not just the facts of the case that started Homoka's club of victimization. Her demeanor on the windy stand had been at times indifferent, hardy, and irritable. When other inmates might apply for parole at the first opportunity, Homoka refrained from doing so because she was deemed a risk to reoffend. She was denied statutory release to two-thirds of the way to her sentence. Um, McLean's report ex explained what had exempted Homoka from a parole restriction meant to ease an offender's interrogation into mainstream society. Integration, excuse me. Integration into mainstream society. In 2004, the Canadian Broadcasting um, Corporation noted that the National Parole Board has ruled that Carla Homoka must stay in prison for a full sentence warning that she remains at risk to commit another violent crime, while the NPBR, excuse me, NPB noted that she had made some progress toward rehabilitation. It expressed concern regarding her relationship with convicted murderer Jean-Paul Gobert. The NPB reprimanded Homoka. You had secretly undertaken an emotional relationship with another inmate, and evidence gathered seems to indicate that this relationship rapidly became sexual. The panel stated. As a result, it is decided to keep her in prison. So they kept her in prison. Yeah. Um, but I found out after that that she was eventually, you know, she did her 12 years. Um, I'm trying to figure out. There was a date here that she was released. Okay. Um, she was released from prison in 2005. What? That's the crazy. In, pro in protest. Um, she, she has been living in Quebec, in the Quebec area under the same name, but in 2016, her cover was blown when a reporter with the press spotted her husband and subsequently revealed that her mocha and her new family had moved back to, I cannot say that name again. Moved back to, what, Mississauga? No, um, Chate Agle. The <laughs> um, so I have no idea what that is. I am guessing, I don't know if it's Canada, but again, no, I'm sorry, it's back to Chateaugrain, which I'm guessing is in Canada. Um, so let's see, wait, because uh, I'm trying to look for... Um, I think it is, it's, um, no, I, I, yeah, I can't be honest, I'm sorry, I can't, um, what, 
Yeah. Figure what out. I didn't get. I I misspelled that. Um. No, I I can't figure out how to pronounce the name correctly. Like there's certain mm. um Canadian um places I can pronounce, and then there's others that I I just can't. You know. Do you see the name I'm trying to say? Um. No, that's the thing. Is like. I, I'm I'm looking at your notes and I'm like, wait, where did it go? Okay, let me do this. You're looking at my notes now, right? Yes. I just highlighted it in my document. It's at the bottom, last page. Um, Chateau, Chateau, I think that's how you pronounce it, Chateau Gouillet. Yeah. Oh, so we're gonna leave it like that. That place. Yeah, Chateau that sounds good. <laughs> So, well, from basically from what I read in this other article, they weren't upset that she was released because she only got 12 years because of the plea deal, but they were really upset that she was back in Canada. Ah. That was a bigger problem. Well, so, I get what they're saying, but you can't always control everything, you know? But totally get what they're saying, you know? Yeah, let me read this quick paragraph that I just that I found on this um on this article. Okay, go ahead. The problem, however, is much bigger than Homoka simply being back in Canada. She transformed herself into a dating soccer mom and began participating in activities at Centennial Park Elementary School where her children are students. Regardless of how long it has been since her crimes, that didn't sit well with other parents. I can totally understand, being honest. Yeah, I mean, like, she came back, like, nothing happened. Now she's a soccer mom, you know, and she's doing activities in, in the elementary school. Everyone there knowing that what she is, you know. Mm-hmm. So. That is my story uh, or my case on the Ken and Barbie killings. Yep. Um, so the next episode, which we're going to take a few uh, minutes to kind of like recoup, and then yep. we're going to give you our last podcast for 2021. Um, yes. And then we will be re, we will be coming back on January. I think eighth. Eighth, I believe. That the Saturday, yeah. Um, and then we're gonna be coming back, and we're gonna have some. We have already started working on our lineup of what cases we wanna, you know, discuss. What cases we wanna, you know, go into depth about. Um, yes. so definitely be prepared. Um, for next year because. 
we got we got like a lot of like crazy cases coming up for ya, you know? Um, oh, yeah, I mean, we, we did um, week one, I mean, season one, excuse me, not week one, season one, and um, we're happy with all the, you know, the, the subscribers and everything that we're getting from all over the world, um, and now we season two is going to be um, better with um, more gruesome cases, and, you know, we just got to keep going, and, you know, but we're going to take this holiday break because I think we just need to uh, regenerate our minds and, uh, you know, take take a break for ourselves. Yes. Um, give ourselves a little palate cleanser, if you want to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, so definitely, if you guys want to leave us a message um, or send us, like, a case um, for next year that you want to hear, you can email us at... MurdersIntention21 at gmail.com. Or you can go ahead and leave us a comment or message us on our Instagram. Mm -hmm. Well, what's our Instagram one? <laughs> what do you say? Act. Oh. Stop. Sorry. <laughs> um, Instagram is act murderous underscore intentions underscore podcast. Or you could um, tweet at us in Twitter at M I. Well, that's capital M I. True Cry Podcast. <laughs> so, um, well, this one was very um, wild, very crazy, and it did take a longer time than we expected. Plus, yes. we are having a little issues because I don't know if you guys are aware of this. I don't know if it's doing this in Europe, neck of the woods. But it's snowing and it's starting to pile up. So we was having a little interference. Um, but yes, we still made it through. We still got this, you guys with this podcast. Um, and just wait a few for the next one yeah, in a few minutes. Last one. We, we yep. got one more. Yep, we got one more. And then we shall see you next year. Yes. Bye. Bye-bye.